Welcome to episode 45 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we play What Remains of Edith Finch. From this point forward, you are entering spoiler territory. After you've played the game and listened to this episode, you might want to join in on the discussion on our Discord. You can find the link to that on our website at leftbehindgame.club. Just a quick content warning, between the 1 hour and 8 minute mark and the 1 hour and 10 minute mark, we discuss suicide and self-harm. There was a lot to process in this game, including a question that one should rarely ask a person. This is actually funny. I did this early on, like uh, maybe after the first kill or whatever. I was like, oh, let's see what this character looks like. And I saw a little belly. And I'm like, I wonder if she's pregnant. And then I look down at myself. I'm like, no, I can see my belly. So I'm not pregnant. <laughs> I just chalked it up to an odd camera angle. Same. That's, was... what I, that's what I originally yeah. thought. A camera angle and a really big lunch. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCord, and today I have two friends with me. The first friend, he's sitting right in front of me. His name is Michael Ruffalo. I'm excited to talk about another fantastic game. You know what? I'm excited to talk about a video game as well. Here's my friend. He's coming to us through the power of the internet. It's Momotati. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, folks. Let's go. All right. We're, today we're talking about a video game called What Remains of Edith Finch. It was released in 2017, in April of 2017, uh, for Windows, PlayStation 4, and later for Xbox One, developed by Giant Sparrow, published by Annapurna Interactive. <sighs> How do I describe this game? Well, I think we start off by saying it's a walking simulator. Yes. Mo, you would like to make a comment? Absolutely. Before we get into it, we haven't done it before, like recently uh, in podcasts, but we have to preface this with saying, if you haven't played this game, I would highly recommend play it first, then listen to this, because we may spoil some things that you may feel bad about. I think you'd have the best experience playing it before you listen to this podcast. I'm going to cut you off right there, Mo. We are definitely going to spoil the whole game so much of this game yeah and i think just based on mo's recommendation right there and the giddy smile on jacob's face and i know my opinion of this game it is a fantastic experience that i would recommend to absolutely everyone i know that's capable of picking up a controller or using a mouse and keyboard you do not need to like many things but it is fantastic. So please go ahead, play it, then tune back in. You know, I, I think can, Mo, Mo and I might have different opinions there. I hate you both. Um, but I think what we need to say is that a lot of the value that you'll derive from this experience is related to the story. And we are going to spoil the heck out of the whole thing. So I implore you, if you have any interest in this game, please play it. It's a two to two and a half hour experience. Play it before you listen Don't to this. Don't break my heart, boys. We'll try, but I feel like Mo wants to break your heart real hard right now. Mo, don't do it. I'm going to get to it right now, real quick. I told you guys before we recorded that I was, I was kind of so-so about this game. This is probably in my top 10 favorite games of all time. It's nearing top five. There you go, Are baby. You I'm not oh even kidding. God. I'm not even kidding. It's, it's for sure in my top 10. I can't go top five because there's some nostalgic games that I don't want to bump out. But it's floating in there. I really enjoyed this game, and I'm excited to get started. Thank you, Mo. 
you I put my heart in your hands and you treated it with care. Yeah, I want I to I want, I want to take you guys to that emotional roller coaster of being like so so unsure. Eh, so it's, it's all right, but no, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. So just for a little bit of context, uh, as we, as we were this this is a walking simulator. Mm-hmm. And uh, for anyone who's a longtime listener of the show, they know that previously we've played Gone Home, which Jacob and I both, you know, I think greatly enjoyed. It would be on my favorite like top 10 video games of all time. And Mo did not like it. It thought it was a waste of time and did not uh, feel that it was uh, anything worth praise. And so for Mo to, to come and say uh, that a game in the same vein and style as Gone Home is one of his top 10 of all time, uh, maybe in the top five, I think, that's, I think that says a lot about how impactful and interesting and well-designed mm-hmm. and well-crafted this game mm-hmm. is. And uh, I think that should be a ringing endorsement enough to go and play it before listening to this. Before I hand it off to Mo, I would just like to read what he said in our Discord, which like to me is high praise from Mohammed Murtadi. Mohammed um, Murtadi. He just said, has anyone started? All I'm going to say is smiley face. Bigger smiley face. Wow. Just wow. Finished it. <laughs> and then the next day he was like, can I make a comment or can I save it? Like you wanted to tell us what you felt about this game. I kind of did. Yeah. I, was, I, was just, I just had, as soon as I finished it, I like going to close the screen. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is awesome. Yeah. No. And, and just, sorry, just to touch back on what Mike said about Gone Home. I still hold the same opinion on Gone Home. I'm not eh, walking similar. You didn't do much. What I felt this one nailed uh, completely out of the park was, uh, the fact that it is a walking simulator, great story, just like Gone Home, but it had that one other thing that Gone Home didn't, and that was other interactions and other ways to like engage in the game besides just walking around and interacting with items. There was some gameplay addition to it, and if I feel like if Gone Home had something like that, I might have been a little bit more favorable to it. Should we maybe start by talking about like the setup of the game and the story sure. around it? We should, and we should say why we're playing it. Okay. Do we want to start with the story or why we're playing it? Well... You know what? Let's start with why. Okay. And I think the reason we're playing this is because this was in contention for best game of the year in many outlets, many uh, many people's top 10 lists of uh, 2017, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a wide variety of praise from a lot of different people. Uh, and it's something that after having played it, I am positive will be uh, a touch point for many walking simulator type games going forward. Okay, and and in addition to that, I feel as though it's a game that I kind of brought to the forefront and said, hey, let's play this, because I've been very curious since it came out. Uh, and w- when we announced it on Twitter, the I don't think we've announced a game yet and had as much like praise or like people going, oh, yes, yes, this is the game yeah. so far that we've had that happen. You spoiled this game for me before we even got to this. Did I really? You did, yeah. Because I hadn't played it before this. But None of okay. us had played it before this. It's the journey, not the destination. Yes. And that might be like a little bit of why I liked it is I didn't know much about it at all. I didn't know the hype behind it, so I came in completely blank. But I want to throw in, whenever I see things are hyped, multi-award winning, I almost start with a negative against it. I'm like, it can't be that good. Like, what, what do these awards mean? Especially like whenever it's like an indie or smaller type game, I'm like, they, they can't really mean much. Let me see this game. This one completely earned anything it ever won. I don't know any of the awards, but whatever it got, it deserved. Blank statement. Michael, I'm very curious as to what I spoiled for you. When when I asked what it was about, 
Jacob said, well, it's the story about uh, this family with a curse and how every child in the family dies. And oh, wow. I did spoil you it. go through <laughs> and experience the lives of each of the children. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's a big spoiler because, like, you know pretty quickly, like, this is within, I don't know, 15 minutes that, like, yo, Edith Finch is the only one that's alive and everybody else is dead. That's true. But I guess I kind of did spoil it a bit. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not sensitive to spoilers. I'm fine. Okay. One last thing before we do get into it. You kind of can spoil it for yourself. As soon as you press start, you see like a map like or a tree of like the family tree. And each one has like a birth date and like a death date, you're assuming, for everyone on there. So if you, as soon as you start the game, if you press start to save or whatever you want to do, you're going to be like, oh, okay, everyone dies right then and there. So it's not really a spoiler because you're going to figure that out way before you see that everyone dies. And just so before we get into the story, you'd mentioned it won tons of awards. It won awards at the Game Awards. It won awards at South by Southwest, uh, the British Academy Games Awards, as well as the Games for Change Awards. Right. And I believe, uh, so the developer of the game, Giant Sparrow, Mm -hmm. also created Unfinished Swan, I believe, on the PlayStation 3. Mm -hmm. And I think that game won two BAFTAs. Um, So it's from a developer that has a track record making interesting art games mm-hmm. um, and, and doing highly, highly praised work. Mm-hmm. And they're based in Santa Monica. So yes. And there will be a reference to unfinished spawn as we get through this, through this game. So should we just get right? I think into we need it? to get right into it. Okay. So Jacob, how does the game open? So the game opens and the way it opens, I adored. So you're essentially walking down this path and you have narration kind of in your ear from the main character, Edith Finch. And the way that the game is set up is that you there's this house on the cliffside in Washington State and the Finches have been dubbed America's most unfortunate family. So you're kind of going through these trails and you're seeing like on the screen her narration like in white letters as she's kind of in first person walking through this trail. The text of what she's saying is appearing as if it's uh, text in three dimensions against objects in the world and you can walk through it uh, and it bends based on your character. It, uh, it, it changes shape. Um, it blows away in the wind. It has a really good kinetic uh, physical presence in the world. Mo. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of video game aesthetic and the way things look and how, how they work. Uh, you explained it really well, Mike, how that text is, but it's it's one thing to explain it. It's another thing to play the game and actually see it. I think it adds so much in the way the message is delivered. Um, to, to explain it just with one last thing, it's kind of like uh, augmented reality in current like apps that you see where you put a placeholder in the world and like you can walk up to it and move back from it, but that's where the text is on any like wall, any river, any... Um, basic surface that's where you're seeing it so as the person's narrating it to you it's also there being like chickleted one by one text by text to explain mm-hmm. the story Love it that's a really good point the AR uh, metaphor or example is is spot on mm-hmm. I failed to mention that you have to take a ferry to this island right and Edith on the ferry is kind of holding her journal yes and she opens the journal for you and in the journal is this family tree that she's built mm-hmm. it's a story within a story within a story uh, and so one of, and I think we'll un- unpack that as we go on, no pun intended. Um, one of the things that I love in the opening scene is as you get off the ferry 
and look over towards the house. Um, it's this house on a hill. Uh, and then there's all these additions to the house. Uh, it expands up and beyond what was normal for the house uh, because each time a family member died, they sealed off the room and they left it preserved how it was when they died. Mm-hmm. And so because they ran out of rooms, they kept making additions onto the house. And one of the things that I thought was such a fantastic touch was the initial angle that you see the house, the addition looks like an old man looking uh, out into the forest. And, and, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, it's, cool. it's a really great piece of silhouette work. Mm. And see, all I thought of was like, whoever the architect is of that house needs to be fired. Like, <laughs> because it, it, like you said, it looks like there was no plan when they built this house. Because yeah. there's a tree that is kind of integrated into the house, into the top of the house. Right. Um, where some of the later rooms were built. And like, there was no plan. But like you said, this family is cursed. So every time someone died, they're like, we need to preserve their room, seal it off because the monster will get us or, or whatever the curse. the curse is. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it was so it's kind of like creepy when it first was like explained to you in the game that like each door is sealed when the kid is like dead. And the one thing you get is on each door, you get a keyhole to look through to just visually see the game. You're not really interacting with it, but you can kind of see what's in the room just from the point of view of the people. And yeah, that's the only addition besides that each room is sealed and you kind of have to access them in a weird or a different way in some sorts. Mm-hmm. So you start the game, you get off the ferry you walk through the woods or down a path to get to the house. And the narrator, the character that you're playing as this whole game is Edith Finch, who is, uh, I would say, the, I think we come to find out is the only survivor of, uh, at this point, uh, the, the Finch family curse. And she talks about how much the house creeped her out as a child and how it was always so unconventional and odd and, uh, and ha- how weird her family was. And, you know, at, at least my opinion at first was, I mean, everyone thinks their family is, is weird in their own way. And everyone thinks their family is normal with some of their eccentricities. So I was hoping to just, you know, as the game progressed, find out just how weird her family actually was. And whether that was more just, you know, a, a personal take on it. And for, forgive me for jumping maybe too far ahead. But once you kind of are walking through and you approach the house... Um, you kind of walk up to the front door and try to open it. It it doesn't let you in with the key that you have, so you have to walk around through the garage and enter the room. At this point, where, what did you guys think was going to happen in the game, and what were you expecting? Because from my point of view, when I walked in and I knew the key wasn't opening, I'm like, gone home much? Like, this is going to be creepy. <laughs> this is well, going to be creepy. And then as soon as I walked in, I thought... Did, like, the world war just happen? Did they have to evacuate? Was there flooding? Because there's, like, stuff everywhere in this house. It's cluttered. The dinner dining room table is intact. There's Books still things stacked around. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a bunch of crap everywhere as if someone had to leave in a hurry and dip. I'm like, okay, there's definitely a ghost or something in this game. Um, let's see what's happening. What did you guys think? Well, my, my immediate thought was, like, there's no way they're going to let me through the front door. It's a video right. game. I need to go around the back. So I tried to go around back because I figured, like, this is how I'm going to go through here. I'm going to go in the back. It's going to be a home alone. I'm going to crawl through a doggy door. And, like, that's how I got into the house is you crawl in a doggy door in the right. garage. Yeah. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you go through the garage, there's, like, a sound. 
And then yes. Edith comments about the sound, so immediately, like, I'm going to die. This is where I'm going <laughs> to die. I'm so scared. I think I pooped myself a little bit. Like, I was not, like, you say you don't like horror games, Mike? Yeah. I play a lot of horror games, but, like, don't scare me. Absolutely. So I was very scared to start. It it definitely starts off with a creepy tone. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I found to become more and more comfortable in the house as I progressed um, and felt more as if it was my home. Mm-hmm. I, I identified more with Edith as a character and a, as a member of the family. And it felt like home in a way that I was definitely not ex- expecting at the beginning when the music and the sound design and the unconventional ways to, to enter the house stacked up to, to make it feel odd and creepy. It was also the way that they made it very believable. It was a believable family. Like she had a brother who worked at a factory like down the road. He worked long nights and all that. You're like, okay, that makes sense. They had an old grandmother that lived with them. And uh, I believe she was in a wheelchair and her wheelchair was there. Um, and she had lots of stories she talks about. And you're like, this doesn't, I don't see what's wrong with this family. Like, whatever. It's cool. And I, as you, like you said, Mike, when you progress through, you walk around, nothing has jumped and killed you yet. You even see the little ballerina key turning thing, like the little uh, next to the basement door. You're like, every the sound uh, house. Box. Yeah, the sound box. Everyone has one of those. Like, eh, this isn't that bad. You know yeah. the immediate vibe that I got? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call back to two, like, older movies. Do you remember the movie Matilda? Yes. yes. So, um, Trunchbull's Miss Miss Trunchbull's house, uh-huh. that house, and then Kinda. also the house from Benjamin Button. And oh. I know the house from Benjamin Button is more like New Orleans, but yes. just like very old, like not a lot of things happening in the house. So it was like one third that, but mostly the house from Matilda. Yeah, so immediately I was like, I'm gonna find like a music box, and I'm gonna eat the chocolate, like the, <laughs> the wonderful chocolate. Trunchbull is going to throw me. It's going to be great. That's right. the vibe I got. And I was immediately like excited, but also very, very creeped out. I can see that. Mm-hmm. The, the house has a claustrophobic and uh, cla- claustrophobic, very cluttered vibe. Mm-hmm. And then at least in my take, it, it grew to be more cozy than, mm-hmm. than claustrophobic. As, I feel as like I'm found. surrounded by books like the page yeah. master. And, and as you find more ways around the house and to get from room to room, um, it, it feels more comfortable. You feel like you have a better sense of where you are and, and where the threats can come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess as you progress, you realize there's no threat other than the Finch family curse. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Finch family curse, Jacob, who is the first, I guess, family member that you kind of learn about? I think it was the little girl, if I'm not Yeah, mistaken. so Mol- Molly Finch is the yes. first person that you end up discovering. So you enter her room and in the room, there's a diary. And I, th- I feel what's cool about this game is each each family member you discover their story in a different way. And every single, uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, uh, their stories are different. From a gameplay perspective, they're all different. Mm-hmm. And like to me, that's the coolest part about this game. And like I can't imagine the amount of work that they had to put in to make this happen because every single family member has a different aesthetic. And in some cases, the gameplay is entirely different. Absolutely. Yeah, that, and that's the thing that got me, I think, to start liking the game was the first room, Molly. When we first started walking through it, I'm like, walking simulator, okay, tough it out, Mo. It's for the podcast. Everyone said it's good. Let's keep going. And then once you get to the first character, and like you said, Jacob, I think the best way to explain it is each character that you learn a story about is a new mini game in the game. Um, where you have a new mechanic or things like that. So it's essentially a, com- a collection of maybe, tw- I don't know if there's 20 characters or le- more or less. I think um, there's but- about 12 or 13 of them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the thir- exact yeah. number. 
there's 13 essentially mini games. So when we get into that room, um, I'm not going to get into the game itself, but as soon as we I started that little mechanic, the the mini game in that story, that's when I was like, I really hope there's more of these in this game. Like if there's more of these in this game, I'm going to be sold. But I was expecting maybe it's like a one off, like this is just a way to experience right. this person, but it was the snowball started right there. So, you know, we enter the house, we go through the kitchen. Edith gives a really good metaphor that uh, it's as if a bomb went off and the only thing that's left is the house and it took everyone with it. Um, And and you look on the fridge and you start seeing, okay, here are family photos and there are family photos throughout the house, but you don't have much context. And then you see the family photo on the fridge identifies Edie, the grandmother, um, the mother. Dawn is the mother. uh, Her daughter. Uh, and then your brother, Lewis. Um, and so you're starting to, to get an idea of who the members of your immediate family are. And, and once you feel a little bit more comfortable with that, you start expanding further and further out. So who is the first character that we hop into their memory? So it's Molly. Molly and yeah. let me just say that when... So Molly's the first character. And like I was like just sitting. I was chilling. And I'm like, okay, let's see what this game has to offer. And the the way it works is... You find Molly, and Molly's just hungry, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go around the room and find things for Molly to eat. And then the game just totally, like, <laughs> goes places. Mo? The be- yeah, the one of the ways... I want to explain this actual minigame, because this is the one that kind of got me excited about the game. So yeah, when, like Jacob said, once you finally maneuver yourself and get into the room itself, you're walking around exploring any interactable item, and what you see is uh, the thing that triggers the game is her diary or her note that was left over on the table. So when you read that, you become Molly and the story gets told in her eyes. And what she says is, mom just sent me like to bed without dinner. So you assume maybe the kid was bad for the night or whatever. She was upset. And she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's super hungry, but there's nothing to eat because she's mm-hmm. in her room. So she's upset. So she goes around. You, this At this point, you can go around the room and find things to eat, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can walk up to the fishbowl. You, you almost look at it and it goes, oh, I thought about this, but I couldn't do it. And yeah. then you, you go to the gerbil cage and you eat the gerbil food, a.k.a. the old carrot. <laughs> <laughs> and she just eats it, but she's like, I'm still hungry. And then you walk around, and this is when you get to the windowsill, I believe, and you find the berries on, like, the... Like, in the like, washroom, yeah. Yeah, the washroom. There's, like, uh, those poisonous berries or whatever, and you start eating them. And she and just then, eats toothpaste like a savage. Yeah. yeah, she's hungry. So she eats all of that stuff, and then when she gets to the berries, that's when it triggers, like, her kind of, like, spacing out. And she realizes, I think her cat... No, the, there's a... The finch bird is at the window... And she's like, oh, like, wonder why, like, he's here. And all of a sudden, she jumps through the window, and all of a sudden, she says, oh, I've become the cat. And she uh, like, turns into a cat. Yeah, so it becomes, like, almost like a trippy, drug-infused, like, experience that you're in. Yeah, exact Hallucination, thanks. Yeah, so you become the cat, and you, be- you learn this mechanic now where you're jumping on trees on the top of the house, outside of the house, and you are essentially the cat, even though you don't see it, you're, you, be- you visually, like experience the gameplay of being a cat jumping on different things chasing the bird you, you guys feel are... much smaller than being molly yes absolutely what what is the next transformation because at one point once you get to the bird do you become the shark so can we just talk about how much this threw me when i like did yes. this not throw you guys because 100 i was expecting a certain because i knew like this much like i'm doing a small finger motion i knew this much about the game I didn't realize that it was going to like go places like this because you go from being a cat, like jumping on tree branches, trying to find a bird, and then you become an owl after that. And you Hunting like, rabbits. and it Hunt just rabbits. Like, 
and you hunt rabbits. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. You're different creatures, and it all happens so fast. Yeah. I couldn't even catch my breath, and I'm already four different creatures, Mo. Yeah, and I don't want to keep cutting in every time, but with this one in particular, once you become like the the owl and you're like prowling in the sky, you become hungry and you're like, oh, a mother rabbit as you're patrolling. And then you just press an interact button and you swoop down just like how an owl would pick up a rabbit and start eating at it. And you're like, oh, I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. And she transforms into... A shark on land. <laughs> at this point, I was giggling and I'm like, okay, what is going on? I'm okay with it. <laughs> like, this, this, this shark, she just turns into a shark and like it goes from uh, it goes from first person from the owl to third person as the shark. Yes. And imagine your shark is like as strong as a log. Like its, it's a body doll. is not, yeah, it's, it's a like rag a doll. Stiff. And it's stiff. Thank you. And it's not moving at all. And you're just trying to roll yourself into the ocean. And then and, once you roll yourself into the ocean, down the hill, into the water, you start seal hunting. Yes. And as a shark. <laughs> as a shark. Um, and, and you swim through the seaweed and you see the seal and Molly's narrating that she's like, oh, all I wanted to eat was a fat, juicy seal. And, you know, you chomp and you, you get the shark's view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens after sea monster. you're a shark? Yeah. You, well, you, you become... chomp the seal and you like weaken it and right. it's bleeding and trying to get away from you. And there's just like this trail of blood. Right. And you eat it, and then you become the sea monster, like Mo said. Right, and and you wash up on a boat, right, Mo? Yeah, you wash up on a boat, and you become all you see is like kind of like first person view, and you see the arm of like a tentacle. At first, I thought you were a snake or maybe like an eel or something on the boat, but you, she says like I've been now become like a monster, and you start crawling around this boat until you find people. And then you grab their leg, whip them towards you, and you eat them. And at the same time, you're thinking, what is this game? Like, where is this coming from? Completely out of left field. Um, and you start swarming them. And at this point, you keep doing it and doing it. And eventually, you become the monster, but you're back in Molly's bedroom. And you crawl underneath her bed. And Molly wakes up knowing that she just she was a monster and she crawled underneath her bed. And she's like, oh, my goodness, like, I think it's waiting for me to come kill me or whatever it may be. And then my mind goes a little blank about, like, what the transition from there was. She says, because we both know I'm the most delicious. And uh, that is the end of Molly's story. So she trips out and goes back to bed, I'm assuming. (laughs) Like, that's that's what happens. And she writes this down. Or it could have all been a dream, I think, maybe. So I think that's one of the questions that's you know you're you're kind of forced to confront early in this game. Did this stuff happen? Were are, were these things real? Did these people die this way? Um, or is this a collective hallucination? Is it a series of mental illness that is passed down genetically? Um, what what is the actual Finch family curse? And it's one of the pieces of conflict that you find as the game develops between uh, Dawn, Edith's mom, and uh, Edie, Edith's grandmother, um, as to whether the Finch family curse actually exists or whether it's being fixated on the death and misfortune of the family. Mm -hmm. And so at this early point in the game, I didn't believe that any of these people actually died the way they did, um, especially because knowing that this was a diary narration from Molly, she wouldn't be able to write these things if she then immediately died. Um, She wouldn't be able to write about her experience transitioning from one animal to the other and then into a monster under the bed if, you know, 
she she was going to die right then when when she woke up mm-hmm. slash fell asleep. Yeah, um, I'm kind of with you where, you know, I feel as though this game, the struggles of a lot of the characters are metaphors for, like, mental health issues. And, you know, we're going to talk about it later when we talk about Lewis. But I think when we got to Lewis, that's when I kind of the bells were sounding about, like, hey, maybe what's on the surface of this is not actually what's going on. Right. Um, I feel like it's it's a mental a metaphor for mental health, Mo. But when you play this game, when, at this point, you're kind of like convinced because you've heard about the curse, you heard about the misfortune. You're like, maybe this is how she died. Well, at least this is how I felt. I felt that you know what, this is a very strange thing. She hallucinated. Maybe she just jumped out the window and died, or she came back to life and died some other way. But they don't really tell you explicitly, and each individual story kind of raises that question: Did this happen? It kind of is believable, but maybe it isn't. There's always that little maybe it isn't until you get to Lewis and you're like, ah, okay. That's Absolutely. definitely what it is. The, the one thing that they do set up, I think, before you get into Molly's room is the story of the curse and how the Finch family got to where yes. they are. And, and what they say is that, uh, do you remember the oldest Finch? No. Odin, well, Odin, Odin Finch. Finch. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess there's probably some, you know. Something in the name Odin being yeah. great father in, in Norway. So this Norwegian family uh, takes their house, puts it on a boat, and sails over to the new land to try and escape the, the, the family curse. One of the things that never quite made sense to me is how they got a house not only across the Atlantic, but then uh, around the country or over a country to get mm-hmm. it all the way to Washington. Um, so for me, that was the very first sign that like, oh, maybe this didn't actually happen. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Because the house is in the ocean, exactly, right? So exactly. so Odin tried to bring the house there um, to Washington State and they got to almost land yeah. and the house actually just, I don't know if it crashed in the water, but essentially it's like a mile off the coast and the next piece of the game after um, Molly is you grab some binoculars and you look out to the ocean and on the ocean you see odin's original home Mm -hmm. that's out in the ocean that you can only see at low tide Mm -hmm. and then they built the house on land you know as a new home once the old Mm -hmm. one crashed mo i'm sure the community will correct us but i'm pretty sure they're very wealthy the family is very wealthy so that's the one like thing that i heard and i was like okay it's not the best reason but I'll, I'll I'll take it. If they're really wealthy, maybe it's possible. It's way back then. Cost like five bucks to move a house, maybe. <laughs> so I was I, I I accepted that little bit of information as fishy, but I was gonna swallow it. Okay. Well, I mean, I just had I think more issues with believability. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and I thought that it was okay. Maybe this is just a sign that don't take everything at face you value, read maybe. or you're told at face value, and that yeah. there's maybe a little bit more to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so after Molly, who do we who do we go to next? So you'll go kid. and you'll do Odin, which is just a very quick like. Oh. Let's look out at the ocean. Let's discover that, and then Mo, exactly as you've said, it's Calvin is the next one. So you find that pink bathroom with like the 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 really like high plow rugs, and then after that, you go in the bedroom that has I think it's Calvin's bedroom and his brother's bedroom. Correct? Isn't Calvin the bedroom cut in half? Uh, is that before or after the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea that you find the key works on? You're right. So 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is for which? For for Odin. Oh, that's for Odin. Yeah, for okay, Odin. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I guess something that we kind of mentioned but didn't quite explain is 
when Edith's mother dies, which starts this whole journey, she gives her a key and this journal. And so, you know, you try the key at the front door and that doesn't work. And what you find as you progress through the game is that this key works on each of these individual books that are either diaries or stories or doors to get to the next room of the house and allows you to uncover more and more of the Finch family story. Um, so uh, you then find Calvin, you said, his mm-hmm. story, and he's obsessed with flying. Mm-hmm. He's, he's obsessed with, yeah, space. I think his room is like a spaceship, right, Mo? Yeah, he's like an astronaut. Uh, before we get into that, uh, this is another mechanic that was introduced in the game that I really thoroughly enjoyed. When you actually enter into the bathroom of Odin, once you complete the actual task with him, um, to get access to the next room, there's that diary in the bathroom. But in the bathroom, there's a sequence of like turns and clicks and levers that you're able to lift up that like unlock these secret passages. This is another thing that I really loved about the game, and it's kind of sprinkled around, uh, throughout the entire level slash game itself to access all the rooms. So you, when you enter, you actually enter the bedroom of um, Kelvin, who shares his bedroom with uh, his brother Sam, correct? Yes, exactly. It's like split right down the middle. One side mm-hmm. is Calvin, one side uh, is... They're twin brothers. They're twin yes. brothers, and there's a red rope that divides the room into two. Mm-hmm. And yes. they almost have identical bunk beds with like a perch on top, like the coolest rooms ever. Like if I was a kid, I'd be like, give me this bedroom. This is better than Ikea. Yeah. It's really and, neat. And, and so Calvin's story is told through the eyes of Sam, his brother. And Sam says, you know, this is the day that Calvin decided to fly. And so you play a sequence of Calvin sitting on a swing, you know, using the left and right trigger swing higher and higher and higher until you go all the way around mm-hmm. and over and over and then launch into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the story of Calvin. He had a broken leg as well, or at least a broken foot. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And the, the thing about it too is, when you first start it, you're just swinging on a swing set. So when you hear this is the story of him flying, you see him swinging and being really close to the edge. You're like, there's no way he's gonna jump. Like maybe you're gonna become another bird, like the other like sequence of games where you start flying around and things like that. But like you said, Mike, you keep swinging, going higher and higher. Once you go looped around, you make that jump and you start flying. But that's implying that he did fly but really he must have just fell off the cliff and died this is one of the stories where i was like this sounds believable just because of what happens to sam for the rest of his life afterwards so it's like some of them i feel like may be a curse some of them may not be a curse specifically after we play this sequence where i don't know if any of it is really that much of a made-up story because sam becomes like a recluse and stays in the basement for the rest of his life until he kind of decides to take his life. No, that's, no. that's their brother, Walter. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. Where am so, I confused? Uh, th- th- Sam is Don's father. Uh, and he is the one that's uh, a photographer and a hunter. Um, and you get to experience his story oh. a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, my bad. But yes. if we want to get to that now, we can. I mean, do you, should we go in order? Or Let's go we? in order. Let's so yeah. after order. that, it's Barbara. Barbara, which is one of the most, I think, interesting ways to tell the story. Um, Barbara is a childhood star. Mm-hmm. And she was famous for being in a film, you know, The Swamp Creature or something yeah. along that lines. And yeah. famous for her scream. Mm-hmm. And so she grew out of being a child star and, and lost her fame. And they tell the story of Barbara through a comic book. Mm-hmm. 
that that recaps it. That's and narrated by like almost like a Tales of the Crypt Keeper type exactly. like figure who's like happened a to a friend head. of a friend of mine. Yes, or so I've been told. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the the story is told of Barbara through this comic book panel that you continue to flip the page of her boyfriend and her working on recapturing her scream for a. a fan expo mm-hmm. and for some reason uh she's not able to go because something happens to a finch family member and she has mm-hmm. to watch her younger brother uh and you know the story progresses where oh there's a murderer on the loose he's the the hook bandit or mm-hmm. something along those lines and you end up playing this mini game where he's in the house mm-hmm. and you have to fight him off and as it progresses as it progresses you find out Actually, this isn't the Hook Bandit. This is all just a ploy from her boyfriend to help her regain her classic scream Mm -hmm. because it wasn't quite right. And then at the end of it, it says, oh, surprise, everyone from the expo that you were no longer able to see decided to come visit you instead. And they're actual monsters. And they're actual monsters. And then the last panel is, and then they eat her. Yes. Um, Which is not quite where you're, I think, expecting it to go. Uh, but it does end on that note. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I thought, one of the most visually interesting ways to tell the, the story of the life of that character. Yeah, visually, it was fantastic. Complete change of pace. Um, is it, I haven't played the Telltale games, but would you say like the art comic book style is similar to how they draw things out? Mm-hmm. You know what I thought of immediately? There's a game that came out many years ago on the Xbox and PS2 called 13. Um, I love 13. So it reminded me a bit of 13. Yes, that's cell shading. Uh, cell shading. It reminded me a little bit of Killer 7, um, which I believe is a Suda 51 joint from back in the day. believe so. And then the third game that I wanted to discuss was Mad World that came out on the Wii. Right. Like it has that very comic book cell shading and 13 had like a comic book aesthetic too. So um, very cool aesthetic that's very different than the rest of the game. Mo? Yeah. And the way it starts too, this story that kind of gives a little bit more context as uh, when you walk into uh, Barbara's room, there's that comic book that you open up and that's when the game kind of starts. Um, that you, what what uh, Edith kind of mentioned is I wonder why mom left this comic book only because there's been so many stories as to why she died. Um, so it kind of implies like maybe this is like a similar or correct rendition or close to it or has some truth in it because once you go like page through, page through, the one thing you don't mention is uh, uh, it was a, this is Walter that stays under the bed that she's trying to help out. Is that is that right? She's babysitting. It's, it's either Sam or Walter. Yeah, she's babysitting one of her younger brothers, yeah. and he stays under the bed, and she like sneaks through the house, hits him with a crutch because her boyfriend had a crutch. Yeah, because um, she goes to kind of he starts like screaming, saying "Ah!" So she's like, "All right, I'm coming up to help you. You better not be messing around with me." And that's when she goes up to his room, can't find him, and then she gets approached by that serial killer, the hook killer that Mike was kind of talking about. Um, and yeah, the, the whole, when this happened and she got killed by monsters came up, this is when I was like, okay, this doesn't seem as that maybe there is more stories in this than actual like real life situations. Like this could have been like, not, this is the one that was the least believable to me in terms of how someone died. Um, and I don't think it was meant to be either though. I would say that given that she was a child star, like we all know that there are a lot of child stars that after their fame has gone away, like they tend to struggle to make ends meet. They tend to struggle and, you know, fall into certain patterns. So like this was to me the first red flag where I'm like, hmm, is this a story that is exactly what it is on its face? Is there really a curse? Like this is the first one Mm -hmm. that said, oh, there might be something wrong here. Right. 
big red flag. Like this might have been a different type of death, but maybe this is like a, the way it's explained. So, so who who do we get next after Barbara? So you go back down a secret passageway, down to the second floor, and you end up discovering the story of Walter. Walter, mm-hmm. the recluse uncle, uh, who Aunt Edie or sorry Grandma Edie would continue to run and bring food down there uh, and bring supplies. And so I think this bunker is incredibly cool. Did you guys? What did you guys think of it? Yeah, I thought it was cool uh, when they explained that uh, Edith never was able to go downstairs. She never knew why. She never really knew about her Uncle Walter. She just assumed he died way back when, and they never told her what was going on and just knew that, yeah, her Grandma Edie was always bringing, like, packages downstairs, packages downstairs. So when she enters the basement, she's always like, oh, I wonder where she kept all the packages. And then you find that bunker that Walter has been staying down there ever since Barb's death. So he was rocked way down to the point where... He didn't want to see anything. I think it hit him the hardest, and he recovered from it and with the way he found fit, and that's staying as a recluse. And so Walter's story, I think, is done in a very cool way. And it's yeah. told of a series of the same shot every day of 12 o'clock, him opening a can of peaches and eating them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go from the year, I think, 19, 1970 all the way up until the year 2005. In which he finally says, okay, I've had enough of this. Living a life, even with risk and dying, is better than living this. uh, Because this isn't life. But the thing that kind of precipitates him to do this is every day at 12 o'clock there's a rumble. Like there's a consistent, loud, earth-shaking rumble for like 50 years. Mm -hmm. And then one day... It just stops. And he's like, oh, it, it has happened where some days it just doesn't happen. It'll be here tomorrow. Right. And then I think a week goes by and there's no rumble. So that's when he says, okay, maybe it's safe finally for me to leave. Mm-hmm. So that's when he kind of opens the hatch that he has like in his bunker to try and escape and see the real world. Yep. And so as he gets out through his hatch, he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. And that light of the end of, end of the tunnel is a train coming right at him. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of Walter's story. He, he leaves with the remark saying, living a life even with risk and death is better than living like this. And, uh, and it was brief, but it seemed, seemed like he enjoyed it. Didn't he talk specifically about like one, like one day is better than what I was going exactly. through before? Yeah, and you know what, guys? I'm starting to think about it now. Like, so after that sequence, which is a great sequence, I think this explaining it as like the same sequence happening over and over again seems like it's repetitive and redundant. But the way it's done, the way the writing is done, it's enjoyable, and you're you're kind of like hit with it. Like, wow, this guy's literally doing the same thing every day. You almost feel like you're doing the same thing yeah. every day. And they and change what, the music on the radio to help update you at the time. So even the calendar changes, so you can like kind yeah. of keep track of like the days. Because I caught it the second time it changed. I'm like, oh, did it just change? again because i saw the x's keep like changing yeah. like based off of the week once you go down you kind of you when you're still walter in his like story you go down the bunker you kind of enter train tracks and you start walking down the train tracks and then you hear like a horn or whatever it is light happens and you assume he gets hit by the train and that's the end of his story but correct me if i'm wrong again but once you become back to Edie exploring the story when you go down to the bunker you realize there's no train track that goes into the tunnel anymore. You're kind of just on the island. It's just the end of the island that's there. Is that right? 
I don't know, immediately what I thought of, like, where's he getting these calendars? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's, it's grandma. It's, yeah. it's grandmother Edie that keeps running them down yeah. as presents. What I got from this, did either of you play the beginner's guide? No. 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 So the beginner's guide is like an interactive storytelling game that came out a couple years ago. And it's very much about live it, living the same day in the office over and over again. And then having branching paths from there. I got such a the beginner's guide like vibe from this from this specific which to me just says like it's so cool how many different vibes and aesthetics and gameplays that we experience throughout this game mm-hmm. it's incredible absolutely so who do we have next after walter um we have sam and so sam is the father of don Oof. uh so it's your it's your grandfather yikes and experiencing sam I think helps give you a lot of context for, for why Don is the way she is. So when, before we get into Sam, there was a point I wish I would have marked it on in my notepad about when it happened. But you know, had you guys ever look at your actual character itself? Like you look down. Yes. So I did that way. This is actually funny. I did this early on, like uh, maybe after the first kill or whatever. I was like, Oh, let's see what this character looks like. And I saw a little belly and I'm like, I wonder if she's pregnant. And then I look down at myself. I'm like, no, I can see my belly. So I'm not pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's probably just the way like you look at it. It's just her, her stomach or whatever it is. So I continue walking down. I'm like, there's no way. But at this point, when you before you explore Sam, you're like jumping around. And she even mentions like, oh, I shouldn't have came here when I was 11 weeks pregnant. 22. And I'm like, Ooh. 22 weeks pregnant. And I'm like, oh, I caught it early. I caught it early. I saw it early. Like, so if you are playing the game, you can actually mm-hmm. see a little bit of a belly going on. And she's mm-hmm. like jumping around on the roof to get access to the upper floor, which is where her parents' uh, bedroom was. It's definitely a moment that I felt, oh, man. Like I, st- I felt like concern for the character because yes. you know all of the jumping, climbing, crawling through tight corridors that you've been doing so far. And... I just felt very protective of mm-hmm. her. Yeah, and even before that, like before she goes through the tunnel and says, like, oh, I would have fit through this better, like, some weeks ago, even when she goes through the secret passages, she says, like, oh, these are getting pretty small. And, like, when that happened, that's when I looked down, and that's when I saw that, oh, snap, like, she she's pregnant. This is a thing. I just chalked it up to an odd camera angle. Same. That's what I. That's what I originally thought. But that was the one that hammered it home. Like, okay, she's definitely a little bit pregnant. I thought it was the camera angle because, yeah, a camera angle and a really big lunch. Right. And so, uh, now that we we know she's pregnant with, uh, with I guess we find out Don's grandchild. Mm -hmm. um, We end up getting the story of Sam, Mm -hmm. and we find out that Sam was. A very strict discipline, disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. He was very regimented, very uh, on the ball, mm-hmm. and so he's very into photography and hunting. Mm-hmm. And so you experience the story of Sam through photography of a trip him and his daughter Dawn makes, um, and then you get his death on camera. And, you know, it's foreshadowed earlier in the game when you see his childhood bedroom because he's got, like, enlist as a picture because he's part of the Marines. So he's actually got two separate rooms. So he's got his childhood bedroom that I assume he stopped using once his brother died. And then you actually climb through an upstairs window to get to his kind of adult bedroom where you discover, like, beyond his, you know, military career in the Marines, beyond, like, his hunting photos, like, he's really into photography. And that's kind of how this game is. This section is mechanically different. 
Yeah, and then this mini game I thought was very unique. Again, each mini game is unique, but what it is because he's he's a avid fan of photography. You take the role of like someone operating the camera, and all you're doing is essentially looking around the the field that's created or the scene itself, and focusing and unfocusing, zooming in and zooming out until you see something in picture. There's no real direction. You might hear, "Hey, take a photo of me," and you have to figure out who's me, who wants this photo, and everything is all grayed out because you don't have the right focus until you see an object that you can zoom in on when you take the photo it advances to the next part of the story i thought it was amazing and i love the way it delivered the message and so the death of sam is captured with uh with a timer man and so uh sam sees a deer and says you know don you don't you don't have to shoot it you don't have to and she takes the shot and she gets the deer and sam is just incredibly proud and he sets up the camera on a timer, and you have to run your character, Sam, all the way up to the deer. Yeah. You hear Don say, it's still twitching. And, you know, Sam says, oh, don't worry about it. That that happens. And then as the camera's going off, the buck tilts its head and knocks Sam off the cliff. And you get a, cam- you get a photo the, the moment Sam is knocked to his death. Um, and it's, I think, for me, the first time... I'm like, oh, this actually happened. Mm-hmm. This actually happened the way that it's it's shown to happen. When we're selling this story, not as great as it's delivering it, because the way how you start this mini game, you're opening up a folder that has photos in it in sequence of the photos you're about to take. So when you're taking the first photo you take out is is if you like, and I think the daughter in the car, and it keeps clicking through, clicking through until when you finally take that final photo of him dying, that's the last photo in that folder. So when you come back into the world as Edith, you see that photo and you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. But every time you're taking a picture, Edith's finger is like moving to the next picture. And to me, that was like such a fine little detail where like you're, you're still Edith but you forget because you're in the story, but that finger kind of brings you back to say, hey, you're still Edith. But I, when, the, when, you, uh, when the deer is supposedly dead, still alive, like that to me, and Dawn was not happy about it. Like she was very sad that she like, she hadn't realized the power of the rifle that she had that could actually take another life. And to me, I struggled more with that of like, oh no, she's like really sad she killed this deer because she didn't realize the power she had in her hands. It, it was so sweet and well done. Like, when as soon as you spot the deer with one of the photos, and you're like, holy crap, the next scene is her mounted with the rifle and aiming at it. And this is when she looks over to her dad and says that. Like, do I really have to do this? And he replies back. I thought he was going to be like, yeah, do it. Like, you have to do it. But he just says the sweetest thing and says, Don, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to. And that's, <coughs> yeah, and the next click is the shot where she makes that decision to kind of take that step. But he was very, like, sincere. He didn't say, hey, point the trigger and shoot. He's like... If you don't want to, he kind of implied like if you don't want to do it, that's fine. It seemed like the photos, especially leading up to it, was a very loving trip between father and daughter, as much as a teenager can be loving at that at that point. Sam seemed like the only one so far that like seemed like he was on on solid ground. Like he may not have had issues that he was that he was trying to work through. I mean, if we want to take the perspective of mental health and illness, um, I, I think it's very clear. That like a soldier and military yeah. man yeah, very definitely cool. have some PTSD uh, and and some mental health issues, um, but I mean that's that's just the lens to look at it through. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the definitive uh, way to approach it. So 
then we get to, I think, go through some of the memories of Sam's children. Um, and so Dawn's two siblings that die at an early age are both Gus and Gregory. And Gregory is just a wee little baby, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just a wee little baby with a happy little frog toy in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. And Gus is, uh, Gus is her little brother who is unhappy that, uh, his father is getting remarried. Yeah. Uh, and so which one do we get first? Gregory is first in the bathtub. Gregory is first. Yeah, and, and the way this story is set up and, like, pitched, because I feel like a lot, a big part of it is how you kind of start the story, because it puts you right into the mood. When you crawl up to the top floor, you find a letter, which is divorce papers, between Sam and, I think, his ex-wife or his current wife, mm-hmm. and it's all the documents. Like, you can, like, actually flip through and read through, like, what it's all about. And at the very end of the document, there's a long paragraph, which is the story of him saying, like, hey, how did we get here? I always wondered what Greg ever saw in his own eyes. He was always so happy, and I always wondered that. And that's when you transition to Gregory, the little baby in a bathtub, playing with frogs. You're controlling them, like, kind of with your mind, kind so of cute. seeing what a baby scene. I love this scene. This was my favorite, one of my favorite mini games Absolutely. because of how like fun it was and like how carefree it was. You became a little baby playing with a rubber ducky in a bathtub. It was great. Just enjoying life, even though you know that the death of this child tore apart the relationship, mm-hmm. right? It tore apart the marriage. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it had a, a whimsical, a, a fun loving nature to it mm-hmm. in the same way that Sam describes how his son looked at the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, this is definitely one of the moments that, that made me smile, but also tear yes. up because you knew what was happening. You knew how it was all going to go down mm-hmm. and you didn't have a choice. You had to just keep pushing forward. Yeah. And, and so the mechanic of this mini game is you control a wind up frog toy in the bath and you have to jump up and hit the rubber duckies and collect enough of those and then bounce off the rubber duckies and hit the uh like toy soldiers like the taiko little like yeah, little men all these little bath toys yeah and then hit the uh switch to turn on the water mm-hmm. again in the tub yeah because k actually empties the bathtub and then like gets distracted by a phone call and that's when you use the frog to hit the water again mm-hmm. to fill the bathtub up again yeah and so when the water's turned on it goes well be- beyond gregory's uh, level and he he drowns in the tub and uh it transitions quickly into uh gregory swimming i think in the ocean he looks his skin is green and there's there's a lot of seaweed that, that you swim through and then uh and then it just ends mm-hmm. which uh which i think can be said for a lot in this game yeah it's morbid, but like also has like a Disney like like whimsicalness to it. Yeah, that I was not expecting at all. Yeah, it, it was great. I, I I thought it was like a very well done scene. Yeah, it was morbid. Yeah, but it was fun. But at the same time, like you kind of knew what was going to happen. This this was a whole roller coaster of emotions that happens, especially with this character in particular. Mm-hmm. And so Gregory's brother Gus, who's a little bit older, um his story then follows and he's a bratty child who does not want his father to, to be remarried. He gave me such a laugh Did he? when he flipped off the, the family <laughs> and you see like the first person like bird being flipped off. I'm right. like, yeah, what a rebellious little teenager. What a little kid. And so, um, his protest, uh, to the marriage is to fly his kite down by the beach where the wedding was happening. And, uh, boys, how does, how does this one go? 
Uh, this one introduced a pretty cool mechanic too, where like you said, Mike, you're upset about the wedding, and but you're still there. It's at the house, so you're outside flying a kite, and you're controlling this kite that's just flying in the sky. In the sky is the actual text of the dialogue that's going on, and how you proceed through the story. You have to use the kite to kind of touch all the the letters to kind of flip them the different color. Once all of them are flipped, the story keeps proceeding. Then you start hearing about a storm that's happening. Uh, it's winding up, and as you keep using this kite you start collecting like uh furniture and the tent itself and objects they're all coming kind of swirling around almost like tornado style and i actually don't remember how uh he loses his life but i'm assuming it's because he stays in the storm for too long and that's what ends up claiming him so it's it this section is katamari-esque in that like you collect letters but you also slowly collect all of the environment like behind the kite yes and the tent starts to kind of blow and, you know, once the tent blows, you actually use your kite to grab, like, all the objects, and all the objects kind of hit the tent, and then the tent literally, like, gets taken out of the ground and just, like, bowls you over, and that's how it ends. So okay. you assume that you were killed by the tent. Yeah. Very unfortunate. Which, this one wasn't as believable as, as maybe the other ones. But uh, I feel like maybe he got caught in this. He's riding. He's flying a kite during a storm. That's the story that was delivered to us on how he died. But there could have been other ways or things that might have happened that ended him. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure how this was kind of wrapped up. Yeah. So the next one after that is Milton. So we're kind of approaching the end now. So we're we're getting down to the nitty gritty where we have Milton, Lewis, Edie, and Edith left. Yeah, and, and so we find out that Don goes on an, uh, an exchange or a mission to India um, and she meets she meets someone, she meets Sanjay who is the father of Edith, Milton and Lewis and and we get the story uh, of, of each of their, their lives. I think we start with Milton, correct? And so Milton is where um, you know, you, you climb up into the expansions of the house, into the, the added rooms that there was no more room after you seal off everything when someone dies. And so Milton's room is, it's like a lighthouse with this uh, big artist studio and a lot of unfinished paintings uh, in black and white and ink blots. And as you grab on this pulley and elevate yourself into the upper upper sections of this room, you see on the drawing table a flip book. And you pick up the flip book and flip through it, and it tells Milton's story. Can I just say, that was the longest flipbook in the history of flipbooks. <laughs> I know the story was sweet. I know it was like kind, but it got to the point where I said, this Whoa. is not possible. There's Out no of everything, this is, he this calls This is the, where you get stuck. This, this is where you this get one, stuck. Not this at the beginning the, when you turn nope, into a cat. Nope, not nope, when you turn nope, into a shark on land nope, and roll into sea. Not when no, you sir. become a, a monster under someone's bed. This nope. flipbook flips too much. Yeah. This this was because those ones were pitched as like being unreasonable and funny and quirky. This was a flipbook that exists and I've never seen one last longer than five seconds, and this one was like a couple minutes long. I was this is the this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Magic is possible, but let me tell you about the yeah. properties of paper. Boy, Correct. Bo, let me. I got Correct. a YouTube channel for you. If you're if you're if when you're dealing with the laws of physics, they need to be they need to abide by them. If you, when you accept them as not abiding by the laws of physics, and you're like confident with that, that's fine. Great. But this okay, one, cool. Now, <laughs> uh, let's see. Story of Milton. You get this really cool flip book. And it's a, it's black a magical flip book. It's, it's magical. Thank you. And what's great about it is 
you get to the end, and I, I honestly I can't summarize what happens in this flipbook, other than Milton discovers a magic brush, ends up creating his own <laughs> self in a self portrait with this magical brush, and then creates an exit for him, and he's never found again. Um, and I, one of the fun little ties here between. Uh, what remains of Edith Finch and Unfinished Swan is that it's implied that Milton is the protagonist of the Unfinished Swan. Um, Because if you look at a lot of the paintings that are strewn around his room that are unfinished, no pun intended, uh, they are, they're, they're almost done in the negative that there's a splash of ink and it reveals, uh, you know, what's there and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a fun little tie. Uh, it, it binds the universes together. Um, and, and it gives me, it gave me some more buy-in that, okay, maybe this world is a little bit more magical, that the, the constraints that you might normally put on it don't need to be in place. There is uh, a little something there. And if you are curious about The Unfinished Swan, that's a game that's available now. It came out in 14 by Giant Sparrow. Um, not fourteen twelve on PlayStation three, and then came out on PlayStation four and Vita later. Right, and so um, that's that's all you're given for how Milton disappears, and he disappears at a really young age, um, and and then we move on to Lewis, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, and Lewis for me is the pinnacle of the game. Holy it smokes, is the most interesting, and it. it discusses i think the the two major themes in this game most directly which is i think mental health and uh death uh and so what happens is you know fill fill in guys where i miss important details mm-hmm. uh but you know if you find milton or you find uh, lewis graduates from their homeschool that don was teaching him at and he goes to get or is forced to go get a job at the canning factory um down the street and when he works there, he becomes incredibly depressed with his life. Yeah, and I think the the one thing that's implied is as soon as he starts on the job, you start that mini game for this one. And before I even get into it, this is the one where once we finish the sequence, I said this is one of the coolest games I've ever played because of the story, the gameplay, the mechanics, and just this like this cherry on top of the sundae that was put onto this game. So you, you go on the front line of this canning factory and with your, with me on a mouse and keyboard, cause I played it on steam. My right hand was used to move the actual, uh, fish, put it into the little guillotine and push it forward. So if you can kind of envision that your right hand is grabbing a fish. So let's chopping, explain, let's forward. explain what, what, uh, what would happen. So you're a, you know, you work for this canning factory and your job is to behead the fish, uh, cut it with a guillotine and then throw it onto the line Mm -hmm. and your character Lewis gets depressed over the Mm -hmm. course of, you know, this being a very monotonous thing. It's also implied that he likes, enjoys recreational drugs a lot. Right. Oh yes. Key point. Key point. He's, he's the stand in for, I think your average video game player Mm -hmm. who feels they have a lot more to offer to the world Mm -hmm. who enjoys, you know, like a burnout, like a, like yeah. a high school burnout is as cliche as that is yeah. for me to say. Yeah. And so, Mo, the mechanic is with your right hand. Yeah, you're, uh, you're, moving, you're using the fish and beheading it. And this is when you get into that fact that he kind of becomes depressed because he's repeating the same task over and over and over again. And his brain kind of starts to wander. 
Um, and that's when like the left side of the screen, a small little like cutout window that kind of blocks your view shows you walking around in a village and you start envisioning this and it's implied that every day he comes back, he's repeatedly doing this, but he's always envisioning the little story in his head of being a villager to start with. He creates a world of his own inside his head. And I think the narration says, you know, first he, he realizes that he can have them do what he wishes. And then he realizes he can have them sing the songs that he creates. And then he realizes that he can have them celebrate the things he wants them to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And he retreats and escapes into this world of his own creation. And one of the, I think, most visually beautiful elements of this game is when you see him retreat further and further into the world the element on the right-handed screen starts to take over more and more of the of the of the scene Mm -hmm. and it becomes clearly more and more important and Mm -hmm. it becomes more and more of his world and you find that as he retreats he becomes the model employee he's take he's just become you know human a human robot automation cutting the head of the the fish and putting it on the assembly line while he's putting all of his focus into developing this world that that he's essentially living it living in while he's at work and beyond that you have to continue to do work if you don't continue to do your work the fish obscure the world that you've created in your mind it gets in the way of the the world that you've retreated your work to. gets in the way if you don't keep doing it yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and just to kind of add on to it from there you're right you have to keep moving and you almost become this guy like monotonously keeping going and the entire storyline that keeps growing up when they the villagers start laughing and dancing with them i actually like laughed and it was having a blast the funniest part about it is when he says you can control everything you can control decisions so he says so i had held an election for mayor and i won it's like oh of course you won it's like your world <laughs> at that point i was loving it one of the things that i think is you know not only is the element of it taking up more and more of the screen um i think a fantastic you know way to to convey just how important and immersed and and uh just all encompassing it becomes in his life uh but as you start like when you start it's two dimensional and it's very low detail and as this progresses it becomes more complex and it looks in greater detail and it has more of a life to it. It becomes more of a full world mm-hmm. until at the very end, it is a whole world that you're walking in three, in three dimensions. dimensions and you, you experience it in a way that, you know, you never quite thought possible. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but the narration says, you know, he couldn't bear to not live within this world and he became depressed mm-hmm. until the only thing that was left was to bow, bow his head and so leading up to this, you have a moment where it's kind of a choose your own adventure and you get to choose. Do you want to go to the left path or right path? And it helps build the narrative of this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the option you're given is either a king or a queen. And then the second being whether it's a serpent or rainbows, a right? rainbows. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's queen and then prince, which to be like, who is who am I going to um, like? I guess Mary, which is cool that yeah. they offer that option. Absolutely, Mo. I think it was like the option of a handsome queen or princess or queen or princess, and or like a pretty prince. So it was like a double kind of like a 
it was, it was worded like that. Um, but even before then, did we touch on how the mom even comes to the factory to plead for you to come home, but you're just obsessed with moving the fish yes. and continuously working and do not want to leave this world that you've created? And she, you can see her, only her hands and her lower body kind of stressing with her hands, like, please come home is what I assume she's saying. But it's so visually, it's done so well that you kind of like, oh my goodness, he's completely trapped in this. He's become that robot, that model worker. Yeah, and not to, not to go too far back, but to actually enter this world, you actually read a letter from um, a psychologist who gives kind of her take on Lewis's case. You learn that he went to rehab, that he struggled, you know, after he went to rehab, and that is kind of how this whole thing is set up. Was it rehab or was it a mental institution for? It, I, I'm not sure, but it was one of the two. Okay, mm-hmm. I, if I think he was. Um, interred in a men- mental institution uh, for, for depression and, mm-hmm. and suicidal thoughts. But mm-hmm. I might have been reading in too much to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so y- you, you end up making your choice. And the last line of this, after you've, you're essentially walking through this open, you know, th- really immersive 3D world is, and the only thing that, le- that was left was to bow your head. And you walk up to this throne and you bow your head in my case, next to the queen and this big guillotine comes down as if you were a fish with your head getting Mm. cut off. And now just to kind of, I want to add how I went through that little last little part is when you, when you're using the fish and you're using the gill, the chopping the heads off and moving them forward in my head, I'm like, Oh, maybe he like chops his hand off. That's exactly what I thought. I was so conscious to make sure that I did not leave my hand next to the guillotine there. This will not was, be the machinist. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I was like, it's going to happen. This is the way it's going to happen. When is it going to happen? They're going to surprise me, and it's going to be ridiculous. I I was like, you know how in, in Virginia, which is a game that we played last year around Christmas time, I was floored when there was the sequence that had the music, and it was a flash, the flash-forward sequence? This, for me, is like one of the greatest sequences that I have played in the game, hands down. Just because Absolutely. I've never played anything like this in my life. Absolutely. And just the way it ends, my jaw was on the floor. Because the way I interpreted this yeah. is that he put his head in the guillotine and killed himself. At work. At work. Oh. That's the way I interpreted that. Same. That's, That's what I thought as well. Because he actually goes up a window. So, like, at one point, you almost climb a conveyor belt and go into, like, a window. And that's when you enter the kingdom. But I thought it was going to end there. That you actually, like, walked out the window. Right. But I knew immediately, like, bow your head. I'm like, oh, no. He... He doesn't want to, oh no. And like, I was so sad when I realized that. And that's when I'm said, okay, I know exactly what this game is about. And with a hundred percent certainty say, this is my, this is my interpretation that it's about mental health. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so I, I, I think we can all agree. Lewis is the, the pinnacle, uh, of the, of the merging of the gameplay and the story elements and, and kind of the peak form of this game. It's perfect. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, but there's still a little bit more to be had there. Mm-hmm. And I think we get a little bit of a, correct me if I'm wrong, sequence between Dawn and Edie, uh, your mother and grandmother, arguing about um, you know, whether, whether you're going to stay or not and whether you're going to leave. And it, you, know, you find out that Dawn is fed up with her children dying to this family curse. And wants to leave and just wants to run away from it. Mm-hmm. And Edie essentially says, like, you know, you can run, but you can't hide from this curse. You just you need to face it. 
Um, and, and so you leave in a hurry and you leave your grandmother behind and you're given a little bit of foreshadowing earlier that uh, your mother was the only one that could see your grandmother living in an assisted home. And, uh, you know, you, you see signs that she turned 90. So, she, you know, she's quite old. And so as Dawn and you escape and leave the house and you're in the back of the car, there's a narration that says, you know, and mom called to, to have them pick her up the next morning. But when they got there, she was already gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, that, she, you know, your, your grandmother died as well. And the only two finches that are left are you and your mother. Mm-hmm. And to be here in this spot, your mother has passed and you are the only one left. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of left with that. Mm-hmm. And, and you go from telling the story of all the other members of the family to telling your story. Mo. Um, the one thing I didn't kind of take in was I didn't, when I heard that she was gone, I thought she like left the property or left the premises and she might be in like the next story. But now that you bring it up, Mike, I'm assuming that's what they're implying. She like took her life too but i i I just i want to throw that in there that i didn't immediately go to she took her life or she passed away i took it as she just didn't want to go to this nursing home and maybe she'll be part of the next story right see i I just took it as she died of natural causes Mm -hmm. because she is 90 plus and beyond that when uh dawn and Edie are fighting edith actually finds a note and starts to read it about like what is actually going on and it's Edie's note to edith uh, and then the other piece that you don't really, you hadn't explained is that there's an incredibly low tide that night and you actually go How out. I forget that? You go out into the ocean and like see the house, the, the, the first house that is assumed to be Odin's house. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, but we, de- we never quite get a full experience or explanation of what happens there. The only thing that we do see is one of the lights in that house turns on. Mm-hmm. And then you're teleported back. Then you're teleported somewhere, right? Yeah. Well, uh, you're teleported back into the living room, I believe, right? Yeah. I don't remember the order of events, but there's a point where you're in the car and you're like doing like the wave with your like gloved hand. So you're teleported to the car and Edith is telling more and more of her story. And then you realize she's not talking to you the person who's listening, she's talking to her unborn child and it's a note that she's leaving in a book. And you go from being in the car to seeing these bright lights. And it's, if you're going through a tube uh, and you know, you can read it as, you know, being birthed or you can read it as being a a blood cell or cells developing. Um, But Immediately after it goes to a white light, it cuts to clearly Edith's son, uh, who's laying flowers at his mother's grave in the family cemetery that was built before the new house was. Mm -hmm. And um, she's essentially telling you the story and giving you the information that you are the last Finch, Mm -hmm. that this is your family story. This is the curse of being a Finch And, and leaves you with the parting words that. You know, don't don't be sad for having died, but we should just be grateful that we have ever been able to to live, um, which I think closes the closes the loop on the theme of, of death and 
and and how we should should look at it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what it is. It's like a restart on everything. He everything's explained to him. She came in not knowing anything and learned everything throughout. Whereas in in the child story now, he has all the information. She's telling him, "Hey, this is a fresh start. This is you, and you're sitting there with your book." And it's kind of like saying there's a new game coming out, or even if there's no new game, there's at least a new start in the character's life coming. Yeah, all I know is that I I texted my girlfriend right after I played it, and I just said, I climbed out of a virtual hoo-ha tonight, and her response was, lol, oh? This game, in my opinion, like, hits a real high with Lewis, and I don't want to say I was disappointed, but like... Then don't say it. Don't say it then, Jacob. I was a little disappointed at the ending. You thought you didn't want to say it. I just said it. Like, get over it. I... I was a little disappointed, like, after Lewis's high. I almost want the game to end there. Yeah, you're right. I no, see what you're saying, Jacob. You, I understand it has to come full circle. It has to. But it was, it, it, it was such a high that I don't think it could have ever, like, fulfilled something beyond what happened to Lewis. You need to close the loop. The, the story needs to be finished. I understand. I'm just saying it doesn't hit the high that Lewis hits. I, I, I felt that the ending narration was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think it said everything that needed to be said. That it's better to live a life, even if it's short, than to not live one at all or to live it in fear. And I think each of the the, the stories throughout um, give different lessons that can be learned on how to grapple with death and being mortal and, and having you know an infinite life and not being able to live forever uh, and having to deal with the consequences of being mortal. Um, because clearly... You know, there are members of the Finch family that survive and live long lives. And it's not because they're, I think, more magical than one or the one or the other. I, I think they just have a different perspective or, or deal with life in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I thought it was a fantastic way to wrap up the game. I definitely agree that Lewis was the peak, but I, I think it, it did such a great job. Mike summed it up exceptionally well, uh, but I can't be a podcast unless I reference Lord of the Rings. Um, Lord, so in the trilogy, the ending there up. takes no. The ending there takes forever, Jacob. But in this game, it's wrapped up very quickly. Um, it has to go full circle. They don't extend it. If there was an extra like two or three like side missions requests, maybe we'll be treading towards Agreed. the fact that it was too long. But I think it was well done. The point was there. It climaxed all the way at the top, and then they wrapped it up, brought it full circle, and said, "Here's the end of the story." Like it had a great progression. I don't think it went too long. I think Mike has the best point here. It was wrapped up quickly. But you're also correct in saying that there was that high point, and you kind of want it to end there. But it was done better by giving us that full looped circle. One other thing that I just want to mention is the moment when you are leaving very quickly the house after your mother and Edie have a fight. Um, I felt like I was leaving home. I felt like I was leaving the place that was comfortable. That was, you know, the the place you call home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a really powerful thing that it was able to make me feel that after two hours of playing this game and having all of these different emotional highs and lows and uh, tearing up and smiling and grinning ear to ear and laughing. Um, This game was just chock full of emotions and did an exceptional job at telling the story that it it did um, in so many different ways. And I think that's one of the things that you can't take away from it. If you don't like one of the ways that it tells one of these stories... There are, you know, many other ways that it tells other stories that I think is 
easy to fall in love with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe I'm wrapping up a little too early, but I think that this was an absolutely fantastic game. We'll go down as a classic and will be a touch point in design for these games going forward. I, I feel the same way. Uh, the Lewis moment sequence is bar none one of the, the best examples of storytelling in any medium like this, ge- this generation in video games. Um, I like, I hate to like compare it to other things. I like Gone Home a little bit more just because it's less of a guided and directed experience. This experience is incredibly directed. Like, it is incredibly linear. There's one path. But the story it tells along the way and the, the, the different sequences, the different gameplay hooks, like, this game is stellar. It's, it's so incredible. It's so unique. I've not, never played anything like it. I implore you. If you have an Xbox One, if you have a PS4, if you have a PC, check this game out. It's, it's unlike anything else you'll play. Mo? Yeah, complete exactly what you guys are saying. You have to play this game. I'm the type of guy where I would maybe will not play a walking simulator style game if it was explained to me like that. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, I'm assuming you didn't listen to our advice to play this game already. If you're one of those people that did that, if you if you think maybe you won't like it even after hearing all this, play the game. You're gonna like it. There's no we can't articulate how well it delivers the story and like enough that. You just have to play it to experience the, the awesomeness of it. And that is incredibly high praise coming from you. Yeah, because this isn't <laughs> a highest. game that I would like like in general because of the way someone would explain it to me. You're just walking around. There's mini games where you learn about a story. It's very sad, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, well, where's the guns? Like, where? Yeah, what are we doing in this game? There's one gun in the whole game, and you don't even get to fire it. Exactly. So, like, <laughs> it's... The, the value, and when I talked about Gone Home, I mentioned, like, that's not everything I really want in a game. Like, their storyline kind of pushes a lot. This one, the story toppled every other thing I'd ever want in a game. The small little side mini games and mini clips toppled anything else. That's all, it was more than enough for me to enjoy a game, and that's how well they do it. Gentlemen, before we wrap up, uh, we put out a call for audience questions, and we got a good one that I wanted to share. It's from the Ludo Narrative podcast. They wanted to ask, which character do you think most primarily uses gameplay to tell the story? For example, which mechanics best inform your experience of the characters? I mean, That's the first a really tough question. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll go first just to answer. I guess from my point of view, the gut reaction wants to say Lewis because it's the end, it's the peak. Um, but just so I don't have to give that answer, I want to go with Sam, the dad, with the photography and taking the photos. I feel just the snapshots and the instant, like who this is the story progression. Who this is the next story progression. And at the very end, seeing the photo of him getting knocked off, it was done really well with photography and like surprising you with the turn that it takes. That's mine. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, the one that is most clearly mapped to what their life was like would probably be Gregory the baby. Um, Just because, you know, the mechanic of playing with your toys um, and and enjoying it and having fun with it Mm -hmm. seems so true to what that character was. Um, But if I had to... You know, Wait, are you giving two answers? <laughs> I, it's it's the one that feels the the most obvious, um, but the one that I think most accurately reflects, um, you know, the lived experience of the character with the mechanic is Lewis. Like the lived experience is grabbing that fish, sliding it across to get its head chopped off, and then throwing it onto the conveyor yeah. belt. 
that is the lived experience and and it's supported by the mechanic of the game of needing to do that to have the the uh the world that you're immersing yourself in uh continue to be seen and shown on screen and to be able to to enjoy it jacob what would you say I, not to be contrarian, but I feel as though Kelvin is a really good example of this, um, only because it's very simple. It, it kind of shows that he had a very short life, and it's a very short uh, gameplay sequence. And, like, he was just very interested in space and, and going, you know, going, to quote Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> and, like, he, he went all the way around the swing set, and that was all he ever wanted to do. And he did it, and it like cost him everything. Um, I didn't want to say Lewis, even though I feel Lewis is the easy answer here. But I feel like, given how short Calvin's sequences, right. and given that like he just lives for lives for space, that that's also a good, you know, example of using gameplay to tell the story. Absolutely, I, I, I think be, we all have different answers because there are. There's such a such a great congruence between what the mechanics of the game are, and what uh, the experience of the character is. That that each having their own mechanic allows us to identify uniquely with those characters. Mm-hmm. I think that was uh, absolutely fantastic design work mm-hmm. by the uh, the Giant Sparrow team. Thanks to the Ludo Narrative Podcast for sending that question in. Gentlemen, I think we've covered what remains of Edith Finch. There's nothing that remains <laughs> except to tell the folks listening that we have a Discord. We do. So you can check out the Discord. Come, uh, We've got a lot of discussion about, I think we're going to have a lot more of Edith Finch, uh, discussion about every game that we play and games that we're going to be playing. Um, you can find that at leftbehindgame.club and there's a big fat link right in the middle of the page. It'll take you right to it. You can join a wide variety of people who love talking about games and love sharing really good game deals. I, I, you know, it's one of the most dangerous things I've ever been a part of because I want to spend all of my money. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, Mike, you talk about the different games that we're playing. Should we let lift the curtain on the next game that we'll be playing? Why don't we? Okay. The next game will be, drumroll please, super hot. Woo, super hot fire. So uh, if you want to join us for that, uh, that episode comes out in two weeks. Uh, two it's, plus two is four. Minus one is three. It's Quick another max. great game. Um, I'm sure it's a great game. Um, we're excited hot. to play it. I'm excited to play it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mo, where can the people find you at online? You can find me on all social media platforms at mmertati or mmertati.com. Jacob, where can the people find you at? At Jacob McCourt, primarily on Twitter and at jacobmccourt.com <laughs> and you can find me at michaelrufolo.com or at rufolo m r-u-f-f-o-l-o on most social places online and that my friends is one less game left behind mm-hmm.